Man, if you think about prayer and our prayer lives, if you think about it, man, prayer is probably one of the most difficult spiritual disciplines, isn't it? That you really, when you become a Christian, uh, no one really shows you or tells you how to pray. There's not like some prayer school somewhere where it's like, hey, you need to be here for 18 months and we're going to show you how to pray and all that kind of stuff. Or there's not really a template or uh, a cheat sheet, if you will, of this is exactly how you're supposed to pray. We just kind of pick up maybe the habits of people that we see praying or maybe you grew up Catholic and you, um, you uh, know the Lord's Prayer or whatever, um, but Praying, if you think about it, is really, really hard work. And it's something that is so important to our Christian life, so much so that uh, prayer is an integral piece of the Christian life. It is something that you and I should have in our lives as Christians that is an incredible gift that if you think about it, when, when as, as Christians in this relationship with God, that we should be talking to him constantly. That prayer is this conversation, this integral piece of our Christian life that we're talking to God, we're walking with him and just having conversation with him. And, um, you know, I remember when I first became a Christian, uh, I was a freshman in high school. And I don't know if you've ever been a part of something like this, but it's always nerve wracking um, where I would be in my little high school small group with our small group leader. I'll never forget this. And um, started kind of getting involved in church and he would teach a little Bible lesson, Sunday school, whatever. And then he would say, okay, let's, let's close in prayer. And he would say to one of my friends, hey, you, you start us off in prayer and I'll close this out. So let's just kind of go around in the circle. Have you ever been a part of this? And you're, you sit in a circle and they, they pray. And as it's coming to you, man, you're just like a nervous wreck. Like you're just like a hot mess. I'm thinking, I have no idea what I'm going to say or do. Like, I don't pray out loud. I don't, I mean, I, there's been times where the Sunday school teacher or my small group leader, he would say, hey, Dustin, why don't you pray? And I'm like, no, I'm good. Then you feel like a complete jerk, right? It's like, can you pray? No, I'm all right, <laughs> type thing. And so in those circles, everybody's eyes are closed and your heads, and you hear all these, you know, I had my friends and they're praying these awesome prayers. And then it would get to me. And I don't know if you've ever done this. If you've been in church world, you kind of know what I'm talking about. And it gets to you and you don't want to mess it up. So what you end up doing is you just say, I have an unspoken, right? Which means either one, you really have no idea what you're doing. Or two, you seriously have something that you just don't want everybody and their mama to know the information about. So like it would always get to me and I would be like, unspoken prayer, <laughs> you know? And uh, I'm like, well, I guess that no one made fun of me. You know, like what, like what friend's going to make fun of you for your prayer? I don't, I'm not really sure. But I remember my small group leader at the time, his name was Barry Little. Uh, I thought he was the coolest guy. He was a lieutenant for the SWAT team, for the county SWAT team. And I always thought this was awesome because, you know, we're a group of, you know, ninth grade guys. He's like, why don't y'all come over? We're going to have pizza and then we're going to shoot my guns. And he lived on this property. And like we would shoot like a assault rifles and cut down trees with bullets. It was awesome. Like what ninth grader doesn't want to do that? But I remember one time he took me to lunch and he sat me down and in like in a totally grace-filled way, he wasn't like um, getting on to me. He was like, hey, I'm just curious. Every time we're together in small group, we're at church and it's time for us to pray. I just, I can't help but notice you never pray. Or you say like unspoken or you just don't, you kind of say, no, no, thank you. Like what's up with that? 
And I just had to tell him, I'm like, hey, I really don't know what I'm doing. Have you ever felt like that? Like, I have no idea what I'm doing. What I'm praying, I have no idea. My parents didn't model it. I'm new to this whole Christian thing. Not really sure what to do. And, and so I was like, you know, the other guys, they kind of use these fancy words and whatever. And I know this is hard to believe, but when I was in ninth grade, um, I was a very shy, reserved kid. And so I didn't really like to talk. And so, um, but anyway, through all that, I was just so stressed. And, and uh, my small group leader said, Dustin, think about it this way. Prayer is just a conversation with God. Just talk to God. Just talk to him. He doesn't care what fancy words you say or whatever, you know. And I wasn't really sure. Like I had been to some of my friends were Catholic and I went to mass and did the whole what I call Pew Olympics, you know, like up, down, up, down, up, down, you know. Am I supposed to do that? Am I supposed to say a certain thing? He's like, no, just talk to God. Just go to him. And if you think about it, our prayer life is all kind of roller coaster of emotions in a lot of ways. We go to prayer when we're happy. We go to prayer or to God in prayer when we're sad, when we're angry. I think about some of my most favorite times in prayer was one um, in times of happiness when our adoption for our three boys, when it was finalized. Man, it, it was a long road and how God is orchestrated and really how God moved in that time. It was a time of great joy just to thank God. But then there was also times when I was a junior in high school, my parents got divorced. Man, I went to God angry. God, why did you do that? Why, why would you allow this to happen? Why did, why did my parents make this decision? And so, and through all this, if you really think about it, the problem for many Christians is that too often our, our, prayer, our prayer life is tied to our circumstances. Think about it this way. When things are going really, really good in our life, man, when our kids are making good grades, our job is going well, um, you know, all the bills are paid, everything's going great. We don't really pray. Or maybe we pray less or lack prayer in that. But when things are going bad, we lost our job, man, we can't make ends meet, we lost a loved one, we got diagnosed, with an illness, all of those things. Man, we're praying like nobody's business, right? And not only are we praying more, but then we're asking everybody else to pray with us and for us. Hey, can you pray with us? Put us on that prayer list, church. You know, I need you to pray for me. You know, we're putting it out on Facebook. Hey, can anybody, if you think about it, I just need you to pray for me. And we just run to God. And it's like this circumstantial prayer life that we have and God wants our prayer life to be something that's not based on circumstances, but is consistent. That in the good times and the bad, we're having this ongoing conversation with him. Think about this. For those of you who are married, think about if you only talk to your wife or your husband when things were really bad. It would be an unhealthy relationship. I mean, you're talking good times, bad times, you know, neutral times, whatever. You're talking in constant com communication. If you're not doing that, I'm available for counseling, okay? But, but think about this. We should be having that ongoing conversation. Think about your kids. If you're a parent, if you are only talking to your kids when they are in trouble and not in an encouraging way or when things are going great, it's not a great relationship. And God is the same way. He wants us to have this ongoing conversation. And I think sometimes, I know I'm guilty of this, like I try to hide my feelings from God, like 
How in the world do you do that, right? Like God knows exactly what I'm thinking and feeling. And so it's okay to go to God and say, hey, I'm really struggling right here. I'm really angry about this circumstance. Or I'm, I'm really, I'm doubting what's going on in this. And that it should be that kind of prayer life that is constantly, um, you know, growing and constantly happening and taking place for our relationship with God um, to be growing and be in a healthy place. And this morning, we're going to look at the story of Jonah, because this really, his prayer life is very circumstantial. But uh, last week, we kicked off this series called Don't Pray This Way. And from the forefront, it's like, man, that's really judgmental for a church to say how to pray and how not to pray. And as you look in scripture, there's definitely a ton of incredible prayers. Jesus teaches his disciples to pray and all that. But what we wanted to do is we wanted to look at a few bad prayers. Now, the good thing about that is there's only a handful. I mean, we really, as a teaching team, we really struggle to be like, okay, is that really a bad prayer in that? And we can see these things and really kind of reflect because our hope and our desire um, starting last week, this week, and next week is to honestly for you and I to have an honest examination of our prayer life and to say, okay, like, where's my prayer life at? Is it important to me? Do I pray? Is it circumstantial? Is it only in the blessing? Is it only when bad things are happening? Or what, what is it based on? Is it consistent to examine our hearts and to say, hey, this is the integral part of the Christian life. So let's be a part of this. And so we're going to look at the story of Jonah. So if you have your Bibles, they'll also be on the screen. Um, we're going to spend, we're going to land in chapter four um, in a closing prayer of Jonah. But I think it's so important to paint the picture of Jonah, because I don't know about you, but I could totally put myself in Jonah's spot in so many different ways um, in, my, in my life. And so if you're, you're probably familiar with the story uh, of Jonah, if you've been in church in any amount, amount of time in your life, or maybe you've gone to VBS with your grandma and them, she suckered you into it and you've gone a couple times. Um, but you know, when you think about Jonah, we, we think of like, kind of like the nursery rhyme-esque of the Old Testament where Jonah, he ends up being um, swallowed by what, A? Eh? Who said a whale? Okay, that's not theologically right, okay? The Bible says a large fish, okay? But we see on nursery walls, it's like, oh, hey, it's cute. You know, Jonah just gets swallowed up by a whale. And it's like these awesome paintings. But really, it's a story of Jonah's disobedience to God. It is really a pretty sad story of Jonah just, you know, saying, okay, God, I understand what you're saying, but no thanks. And the story of Jonah starts off, and most people don't know this, but Jonah is actually a prophet of God. And most prophets, as we see in the Bible, God speaks to them and actually kind of through them for a message to the people. And really, in this situation, uh, God comes to Jonah and speaks directly to him to actually do something. So we see in the very first chapter, this will be on the screen. You don't need to turn there. But in chapter one, we see uh, verse one and two, it says, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of uh, Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. And so think about this. 
So God comes to Jonah and he says, hey, I want you to go to this city called Nineveh. Now, Nineveh was the capital city of the Assyrian Empire. And they were bad people. They were savages. They didn't, they didn't want anything to do with any. They were Israel's enemy. And so you, from the, from the forefront, you would think, okay, you know, uh, Jonah's probably not going to want to go there just because he's scared of them. They're horrible people. They had a reputation of just being massive, savage killers. And so God asked Jonah, I want you to go there and tell them about their evil. And I can imagine Jonah's like, no way, Jose. <laughs> I am not doing that. That's like my death sentence. But what ends up happening is Jonah says no to God. He runs away from God. And instead of uh, saying, okay, God, I'll, I'll do whatever you want me to. And instead of uh, heading uh, east, he decides I'm going to go as far west as I possibly can. So he gets into this boat that's heading to a city called Tarshish and he boards this boat. He pays his fare and there's a lot of pagan sailors on this boat and they head out and he's like, phew, I'm running away from God. Now you and I both know you can't outrun God, but he thinks he can. So he gets in this boat that goes out to the sea and you probably know the story, but God brings this massive storm and in the midst of the storm, okay, and this is all setting up to where we're going this morning, but in the middle of this massive storm, the sailors are freaking out. They're like, we're going to die. This boat is, is going to sink, all right? And so they start taking cargo and throwing it over, and Scripture says they start to call out to their own gods. They're like, God, save us. But then they started to think, okay, they, they cast lots and they're like, this has something to do with Jonah, that guy. And where is Jonah? He's not helping. He's not afraid. He's like a middle school or high school student. He's like in the bottom of the boat asleep. I mean, he's just passed out in the middle. You know what I'm talking about? Like he's just passed out. So they go and they're like, wake up, bro. There's a storm happening. And we think it's all because of you. Who are you and what have you done? And I love what Jonah says with great confidence. Like he's somebody. He's like, hey, I'm Jonah. I'm a Hebrew. And I, I fear the Lord, the, the God of heaven, the creator of the sea and the dry land. Now think about the irony in that statement. While he's proclaiming who he is and what he believes in God, and he says, I fear the Lord, does he honestly fear the Lord? Because he's running from God. And he's like, I don't fear him enough to listen to him. I'm just going to kind of do my own thing. And so they're like, okay, well, you need to get up and you need to call out to that God, your God, and have him save us. And Jonah essentially says, you know what? Just kill me. Just throw me overboard. God wants me to do this, you know, and I'm not going to do it. So just, just kill me. Throw me overboard. And they're like, no, your, your blood's not going to be on our hands. And he says, do it. So they end up, these pagan sailors end up throwing Jonah over the boat. And we see that essentially these pagan sailors end up, um, God calms the sea, they make it back to dry land, and the pagan sailors actually worship God, which is a, cra a crazy moment that you would think the prophet Jonah would be worshiping God, but he doesn't. The pagan sailors do. So in the midst, um, Jonah sinks, he gets eaten uh, or swallowed up by this large fish. And then in the belly of the fish, 
we see this first prayer of Jonah. And Jonah begins to pray, and it's kind of a prayer of repentance, but not really. He thanks God for not abandoning him. He says, God, I'm so glad you're with me. Thank you for saving my life. He's praying them. And then I love this because I, I can relate to this. He tells God, hey, just save me from this and I will do, I promise, I will do whatever you want me to do. I will totally obey you now. Have you ever had one of those prayers that's like, God, if you just save me right, right here, like just let this happen. And I will do whatever you need me to do. I'll start serving in the preschool. No, I won't do that. <laughs> but I will, I'll do middle school. Okay, how about that for a compromise? Or, hey, if you let this happen to me at, at, at my job, if you just let me get that raise, man, I promise you, God, I will start to tithe. Or I will, I will do this. I'll do anything. Just don't let me, don't make me move to Africa and be a missionary. I'll do anything but that. We've all had those prayers, right? I will do anything. And, and Jonah's in this moment where he's like, Thanks, thank you, God, for saving my life. And in return, I promise I will do whatever it takes. And so we see that God allows the large fish to spit Jonah back up onto dry land. Okay. And where is the dry land? Nineveh, okay? He puts him right where he needs him to be. And, and I love this because then he's kind of stuck. And I can just envision Jonah being like, I guess I did promise God. <laughs> I kind of need to go on with this, right? And so he begins to go into uh, to Nineveh. Now, Nineveh was this large city. Scripture says that it would take three full days to go from one side to the next. And what Jonah does isn't even really fully what God asked him to do because you, if you remember, the command was you need to go and you need to tell them about their sin and all this other stuff. But what Jonah does, and we see this at the end uh, or the beginning or middle, in, whatever, in the middle, chapter three is so short, it's kind of in the middle, but this prayer or this, um, these five words that, that Jonah begins to preach in the city uh, of Nineveh. And he, he really says, uh, he says, it's yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. So think about it this way. He, he gets up on the shore of dry land. God has just spared his life. He's promised God everything in this prayer. And he's walking through the city and it's nothing fancy. He's just saying, hey, in 40 days, this place is going to be overthrown. Hey, you guys over here. Hey, y'all stop. Listen to me for a second. In 40 days, this place is going to be overthrown. That's like his sermon. I mean, think about that. It's like the worst sermon ever. Could you imagine like if you showed up this morning and I'm just like, hey, in 40 days, this place is gonna be overthrown. All right, y'all have a good one. And I just left. It'd be like, what in the world? And so he's just going around and just telling the city, hey, in 40 days, this place is gonna be overthrown. It's almost as if he has this heart that doesn't really care about what's happening. He's just like, let me just get this over with. God told me to be here. I'm just going to, yeah, 40 days, this place can be overthrown. Well, okay, I'm just doing this. Let me go through the motions. Well, his plan backfires because God shows up in a huge way. And in this, we see as a result that the king of, uh, of the city of Nineveh, he actually repents and turns and starts to believe in God and worshiping God. And then all of the city, this huge city, scripture says over 120,000 people repent and come to know God and believe in God. And then we come to chapter four 
And you would think in this moment, right, that you would think that Jonah would be like, yes, I just said these five things. I barely did anything. And God just saved all these amazing people. I mean, I'm kind of jealous. Like there's a part of me that wishes that I could just like preach five words and 120,000 people come to know God, you know? But then I'm like, at the same time, I look at it and I'm like, dude, if Jonah can do that, any of us could do that. Could preach five, six, seven words and people come to know Jesus. And so we, then we see in chapter four, probably one of the most unfortunate prayers of Jonah. So let's read this together. I know it took us some time to get there, but I think it's important just to see Jonah's heart in this. Jonah, he says this, but it displeased Jonah exceedingly. And he was angry. I mean, can you imagine this? 120,000 people plus just went from being super evil, the most evil people in the world, and having that reputation to turning to God, and Jonah is ticked about it. He's like, that's not how it's supposed to, this is supposed to play out. So it displeased him exceedingly, and he was angry, and he prayed to the Lord, and he said, oh, Lord, is this what I said when I was, is this not what I said when I was yet in my country? This is why I made haste and fled to Tarshish. For I knew, I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful and slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please just take my life from me. It is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, do you do well to be angry? So after God does this amazing thing, the whole city of Nineveh comes to, repents and comes to follow God. So much so that we see in scripture that actually the cows repented. I don't know how that happens, okay? If that's even theologically correct, but it happens. I mean, it's total God. Um, can you see like cows? I don't, I don't know. Anyway, that's a side note. But, but, and he's mad about it. And he goes to God and we see that his prayer really exposes his heart and that he wasn't fleeing because he was scared of the Syrians. He just knew that God was going to do something amazing and he's, he's still decided to flee. And the Lord says, do you do well to be angry? Like, hey, you're angry. Is that helping you, bro? Is that, do, is that doing you well? And then listen to what happens. Jonah went out of the city and he sat to the east of the city and he made a booth for himself there and he sat under it in the shade until he... Uh, um, till he should see what would become of the city. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah and it might be shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. It was really, really hot. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But then dawn came up the next day and then God appointed a worm that attacked the plant and so that it withered. And when the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die. And he said, it is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, 
nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should not I pity Nineveh, that great city, in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle. Man, this prayer of Jonah really exposes his heart. And I really want to just kind of point out three things in this as we're talking about don't pray this way. The first thing that we see is that Jonah's prayer, his prayer was heartless. I mean, I've already kind of alluded to this, but lives are radically changed in the most evil city in the world. And, and Jonah was not about it. He was mad. He was angry. He, even, he was so angry, he told God, just kill me now. I cannot believe this. So this is why I didn't want to come here. He hated the Ninevites. They were the enemy of the Israelites. And he was like, I don't want you to save these people. They're wicked. They're evil. They, they don't deserve you. And I didn't want to come here because I knew that you're loving and you're kind and you're compassionate and you're going to do something. And so I would just rather die than to see my enemies come to know you. So he just has this heart that even in the midst of God making this amazing miracle happen, he's just frustrated. He's so angry about it. And he's going to God. He's like, God, I don't care what you did to these people. Just kill me. I don't, I don't care. And I think so often in our prayer lives, there are people, rightfully so, that have wronged us, that we just can't stand, that we just are having a hard time forgiving them, or we're just kind of like shutting the door, like there's no way. And to be honest, there's probably people in our lives that at times, maybe we haven't physically said it out loud, but we're just like, God, I hope you do something bad to their life. <laughs> I wish you just bring evil upon them. Let justice really happen in this case. And that was the heart of Jonah. I mean, he was heartless. He was like, I don't care. Let them die, whatever the case may be. And if we look at scripture, I love what Jesus says in Luke chapter 15. Luke writes this down in his gospel that Jesus talks about how there is more joy um, with the angels of God in heaven that repent over one sinner. So just one person that repents and says, okay, I'm gonna turn from my sin and I'm gonna do this. I mean, think about that. There is joy in heaven. The angels are celebrating over one person that repents. And in this situation, we see over 120,000 people that do that. And so uh, heaven's having a, a big old party, but yet Jonah's like, I don't like it. <laughs> I don't want anything to do with it. I'm so bitter right now. I could care less about them. They're evil people. They deserve to die. And his prayer was just heartless in this. And really it exposes where his heart is in this. And let's be honest. Those people that have wronged us, we don't want to pray with them or for them. We don't want God to change that. And so often we don't go to God in prayer for those people because we know what God's going to say. We don't want to feel that conviction or that guilt of like, hey, you should be praying for that person. We should be praying for people that get on our nerves, that have wronged us. I'm not saying be best friends, you know, but to, to really, who knows what God can do in that relationship. And you think about it, in that unforgiveness that we have, is really our anger is this fermented unforgiveness that just is eating away at us. 
And it's, and it's shifting our relationship with God over here when it should be close to him. It's, it's, it's drifting us further away from God. And so when we're dealing with that, that's what, we're not praying. We're not talking to God. We don't want to feel that way. We don't, you know, we like what God has to say until he tells us to do something, right? And then we're like, no, nah, I don't want to forgive that person. And so we're just like, you know what? Out of sight, out of mind. And Jonah was like, man, my heart, I don't want to forgive these people. I don't want you to do this. And so his prayer was heartless. The second thing that we see is his prayer was selfish. If you look in this prayer, it was all about him. This is why I didn't want to do this. I know this about you, God. This is why, just kill me. You know, poor, pitiful me. I just, you know, like, I didn't want you to work. I, I didn't want to be uncomfortable. All this stuff, just kill me. And it's really, and even so much so, it's almost as if he's mocking God a little bit because we see in verse five, Jonah went out of the city and he sat to the east of the city and he made a booth for himself there and he sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. Now, the way I read that is as if Jonah was like, you know what, this ain't real. This, this God really didn't do this. So I'm gonna set up over here can someone bring me some popcorn? I'm just going to watch. Watch. These people are just going to fall. They're going to go back to their evil ways. This isn't real. I'm just going to watch. I'm going to sit here. I'm going to take joy and delight in this. And even in the midst of that selfishness, God meets him right there and uses that to teach Jonah something. Because then he brings this plant and he grows this plant. And um, he comes and says, like, hey, are you angry with the plant? you know, that it grew and then withered. And think about this. Jonah is more upset about a dumb plant than he is the heart of the people. He's like, yeah, I am angry, angry enough to die. You brought this plant. I was filled with gladness. You killed it, God. And now I don't have it. The sun's beating on me. And now I am mad. And God's like, what in the world? Like you're more concerned about the plant than you are the people. Should I pity the people of Nineveh? Yes, I should. But you have more care and concern about yourself and, and you being comfortable and your ways and your desires. And if you really think about it, especially in our prayer life, is that when we become so focused on our own desires, we completely dismiss the desires of God. It's all about our plans. Hey, this is, this is how it needs to happen. This is the job that I'm going to have. These are the kids that we're going to have. This is the house we're going to live in. This is how life is going to look. And when God comes and he interrupts those things, we're like, mm, yeah, no, I'm good, God. I know you can say all that spiritual stuff. Okay, whatever. You want me to do this and that. And church is good, but I'm going to stay in my desires. I'm going to stay in my way. And it, it's one thing for us to share those desires with God, but it's another thing to say, you know what? Thanks, God. Thanks for the recommendations. Really, it's command, but I'm going to take it as a recommendation, but I'm going to do my thing. And essentially what you and I are doing when we do that is we're robbing ourselves of experiencing an incredible blessing from God, right? That God wants to teach us something, show us something, provide us something, and we're like, ah, I'd rather not. So let me do my boneheaded thing over here. Let me, let me just be stubborn. Let me disobey and just not listen to you. And it's not going to turn out well. But yet I'm so selfish in my own desires, I'm going to dismiss your desires, God. And then thirdly, we see that not only was his prayer just heartless and selfish, we see his prayer was defiant. 
he felt like he had a better grasp on the judgment or justice um, than God did. He's like, these people deserve to die. Like, who are you, God? You shouldn't forgive them. You shouldn't do any of that. Like, I, I know what's right. They need to die. So much so that theologically, he knew everything. And he was blatantly disobeying God. Think about this. He knew. He, at the very beginning, he said, I'm a Hebrew. I fear the Lord, the God who created every, all, all things. He created the sea. He created the dry land. Then he prays in chapter 4, God, I knew you were going to be compassionate. I knew you were going to be merciful. I knew you were going to be slow to anger and have all this love for them. Blah, blah, blah. You know, that's what he's saying. He's like, I know all that. I know your character. I know your nature. But I'm going to blatantly disobey that. I could care less. I'm going to do what I want to do. And in my prayer, I don't want you to save those people. That's why I ran. That's why I hid. That's why I disobeyed. And we all, like if you have kids, you know, it gets on your last nerve when your kids like blatantly disobey you. You know what I'm talking about? Like it's one thing you ask them to do something that they didn't hear, or maybe you kind of second guess yourself. Like, did I really say that or explain that well? But there's a lot of times when you're like, hey, you need to do this. And they just look at you and they're like, nah. <laughs> and that's essentially what Jonah is doing to God. God's saying, go do this. And Jonah's like, no, I don't want to. I'm going to blatantly disobey you in this. You have to think about it in our lives. And I'll just say this in closing. God is wanting us to experience something way beyond ourselves. And we limit that. We put a cap and we're like, no, thank you, God. That's too uncomfortable for me. And God's saying, I want you to go. I want you to go do something. I want you to go do this. I have this plan for you. I have this prepared for you. And we're like, no. So I'm just going to stay right here. And if you think about it, our prayers are an act of submission for God to use us for his will, not ours. Our prayers, while we, there are going to be times where we're like, hey, God, I need your help with this. There's nothing wrong with that. But ultimately, our prayers are going and coming before God, approaching him and saying, God, I don't know what's going on, but I'm going to let your will be done over mine. I'm going to put my stuff, my desires aside. I just want you to use me. And think about this. What if our prayer life was so intimate and intentional with God in our relationship with him that he could use us like Jonah to say five, six, seven words? They, don't even, they didn't even mention God. They didn't mention forgiveness of sin. They didn't say any of that kind of stuff. But that God could use us to see 120,000 people's lives radically changed. I mean, that's pretty crazy. All we gotta do is say yes. You might be like 120,000. I'm not Billy Graham, <laughs> you know? What about one person? What about your neighbor? Who's just really struggling? What about that person at work that might just get on your nerves? But you don't know what's going on in their life, but they need you to love them and to care for them as God has cared for you. And so what if our prayer life is like that? It's just more of an approach to say, God, whatever your will is, just do it. Let me get my selfish desires out of the way. You just do your thing, God. Let me obey. Let me listen. Let me have a heart that's for other people, that it's not about all me and all my desires, but it's about you. And if you're here this morning, my prayer for you is that maybe through this, you can relate and you can say, you know what? God's calling me to do something. And maybe that's begin to, have a relationship with God. Maybe it's to start praying. 
Maybe it's to call you to a next step, man. You've just been like disobeying God with something. He, he's ready for you to serve or be baptized or, or to have that conversation with your coworker or friend or family member. Whatever it is, use this as an opportunity this next song just to commit and say, okay, God, I'm not gonna continue to run, but I'm gonna say, okay, God, use me. As an act of submission, use me. Let's pray. Father, God, I'm so thankful that we can come to you and just be honest and open. You know the ins and outs of our hearts, our minds, and our bodies. You know exactly where we're at. You know where we struggle. You know where we're angry. We know where, you know where there's doubts. You, you know everything about us. Let us continue or start to have this ongoing conversation with you. This comes to you and says, God, in an act of submission, we want your will to be done, not mine. God, it's about you and your desires, not mine. And Father, as we tap into that, as we approach you with just that submissive heart, God, I pray that you use us and to be able to see and experience things that can only be explained by you. Maybe it is 120,000 people, but maybe it's just one person that you've put into our life that desperately needs you and allow us to take in that step of forgiveness or care and love just intentionality to see that person turn and walk with you it's in your son's name we pray amen hey let's stand up and let's close and worship together use this as a time of commitment before the lord